He slept in his parents' bedroom until he was 13. He wet the bed until he was 14. He doesn't know how to ride a bike. Apparently, he has friends. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. Wexel. Welcome to Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. I'm Evan Wexel, and this is a podcast where I interview a different Facebook friend every episode. Old episodes are at awkwardwithevan.com. Social media is at awkwardwithevan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And this can be downloaded on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, you name it, you'll find it. So uh, this is an interesting episode because uh, I'm interviewing someone who up to like right before the interview was not even my Facebook friend, but I had to make an exception because he's running for vice president of the United States. Uh, his name is Spike Cohen. He is the vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. Uh, the presidential nominee's name is Joe Jorgensen. And uh, yeah, he he's obviously could imagine how much inflow of attention you get when you're a candidate of that magnitude. But two minutes before we started rolling, he was like, man, I'm just going through all my requests right now. You have no idea what it's like. And then, then I broke him. And he had confirmed my friend request like a minute before we started rolling. And uh, for you guys that are not familiar with the party's platforms or what they stand for, uh, then we can uh, have a listen here because uh, we try to touch all the bases, all the things that would concern the average American. And I think he did a good job. It was an easy interview for me because, you know, I just said the question, he just rolled. Uh, so very well spoken. I didn't really get him until the end of the interview uh, in a very awkward manner. Uh, but other than that, um, it was a good time talking to him. And uh, definitely have a listen. There's been a lot of new interest in this podcast since I announced this interview. And uh, I thank you for that. Um, this podcast can be supported uh, by going to patreon.com slash funnyevan. But that's for later. Right now, it's time for Spike Cohen. Okay, cool. So, guys, this is Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. And uh, I usually interview a different Facebook friend uh, every episode. It was an exception today because uh, my next guest, with the way 2020 is going, could actually be the next vice president of the United States. But now he is my newest Facebook friend. So please welcome Spike Cohen. How's it going, man? Your freshly minted Facebook friend. I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? I'm doing. Thank you. I mean, uh, I don't know what we'd call this. I mean, we call it from the, from the Waffle House to the White House. I guess pretty much. Waffle I House mean, to the White House. Yeah. Exactly. Um, has it been a good lockdown for you? Has you know what? I, I feel bad because you know I'm hearing there's immeasurable suffering that's happened as happening as a result of this pandemic and the ensuing lockdowns that have come from it. Uh, you know, people losing their their livelihoods, people losing their jobs, mm -hmm. people losing their businesses that they've been working on for years. And as a as a small business owner, that absolutely hits hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, I, for me personally, uh, I have been able to. Uh, we've adjusted fairly well. Uh, I was essentially retired. Um, I was retired from my my business when I sold it, and mm -hmm. um, and I also uh, have just uh, you know, so I, I didn't have a business that I was worried right. about other than really uh, my podcasting through uh, Muddy Waters Media, right, and also my campaigning uh, for this campaign ticket. Wow! So I'm pretty much just in front of my webcam a lot <laughs> and on the phone a lot, uh, and occasionally going and doing like some studio appearances for interviews and stuff like that in like media markets. Um, but then the rest of the time, I'm either going to the beach or hanging out on the on the yard front yard with my wife and my dog. So, largely, I've 
been in, you know, it, it has been, has not really greatly affected my day to day life, right. but I do, I am very cognizant of the fact that for most people, this has been, you know, yeah. in many cases, devastating. So. Yeah, that was um, one of my questions. Uh, you're going to get questions from my family later. Uh, one of my questions from my dad was, uh, what is, what is he, what was his day to day before he started doing this? So you sold it, you got a media company and you sold it. So it freed up no, your so, time for so, the campaign. Yeah. So, uh, no, it, it, so, uh, in 1999, right before my 17th birthday, okay. I started a web design company and I grew that, uh, into a pretty successful business. And then in 2017, I decided to retire from that so that I could focus my full, uh, attention on my real passion in life, which was spreading the message of liberty. And so that uh, led to me becoming uh, the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media, mm -hmm. as well as the host of My Fellow Americans and the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom. So I'm still doing that uh, full time uh, as well. But, you know, full time podcasting twice a week is, you know, maybe a, a few hours a week that I put into it. Uh, honestly, it's the other co-owner, Matt Wright, who does most of the, the yeoman's work, most of the leg work on the back end. So uh, that's me showing up and doing those appearances, plus doing all of the other appearances that I've been doing for this campaign. So my life before this was, uh, I guess you can let your dad know, before this, it was a lot <laughs> less hectic. I yeah. had a, I had a, um, uh, and I don't know if hectic's the right word, it was less busy. I had a much more leisure, leisurely lifestyle. I would, I would get up. I would, you know, I, I, I do show notes, work on show notes for my next shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I kind of did whatever I wanted, um, which was kind of half the reason I got into it. <laughs> uh, but since I've been campaigning, and, and when I started, when I started running for the the Libertarian Party's VP nomination yeah. in uh, December fourteenth was when I announced. Wow. Uh, and I had decided about three weeks before that to run. Uh, going out, coming out of last Thanksgiving, I realized moving forward, I was going to be busy again, busier than I'd even been back at the the, the height of my uh, success with my business, and that's been the case. I've been extremely, extremely busy. I have an amazing <laughs> team under me that is really doing all the legwork um, so that I can focus on doing you know media appearances and interviews and creating viral content and working on uh, you know positioning and things like that for for issues subjects with uh, with Joe. Uh, but Joe Jorgensen, my my presidential yeah. running mate. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, uh, you know, so I've, I've been very, very busy, but yeah, my life before this was much more leisurely. You can let them know that. <laughs> okay. I'll pass it on. Um, so then, so that was like your Liberty origin story kind of happened back in 99. And I guess since you've kind of made it to, I'm, I'm going to kind of take this a little bit backwards. So since okay. you've been selected as the VP, it definitely, is it what you expected or is there, is there more time that you thought it would take or like it's like a pop quiz with issues every time you run into somebody or, or how that I, yeah, so that I expected, I expected the gotcha questions and the, and the, you know, the, 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 um, you know, tough, tough, both the gotcha questions and just the legitimate, you know, difficult, uh, nuanced questions that people have for someone that's running for, you know, the highest I, I'm running to be second in command for the highest office in the land. And so that comes with quite a bit of questions. Well, what would you do in this case? What would you do in that case and so forth? And, um, you know, thankfully, I, I long before I decided to run, I have fairly formed opinions on all these subjects. And okay. I and I, I have uh, and, and even on the things that I may have more that I, I could learn on them. Everything is, is rooted in a v deeply developed and, and uh, established libertarian ethos. So even mm -hmm. on something that I may not know every single detail on yet, right. I can still fall back to the position of, of in, uh, you know, broadly speaking, uh, how the libertarian response would be. Did I expect it to be this way? Um, I don't know. Honey, did I expect it to be this way? <laughs> 
to the, the 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 run to be like this? The day to day, the schedule. No, blocking in, moving stuff around. Yeah, I don't talk know to either. Media, That's, yeah, talk to she's saying newspaper. the same thing. She doesn't know. I, yeah. I so I kind of expected this. Yeah, I, I guess so. There's two things here. I I expected it would be like this, and I guess I could kind of visualize it being like this. But that's completely different from actually doing it. Right. Um. So even at, even though I I expected most or all of what's happening, I once you're actually doing it, it's like oh wow, this is what this actually feels like. So it's one thing to to you know um. Uh, uh, intellectualize it and another thing to actually experience it. So that, I think that's why we both had the same right. response. Off. I don't know, but yeah, it's uh, it's been, but it's been incredible fun. I'm having, I'm enjoying time of my life. I'm having the, I'm really enjoying it. Cool. And um, just to give you uh, a backstory on me, I, I am a registered libertarian. I did run for office. I was a, a writing candidate in California, like top five of all the writing candidates in the state. Um, wow. But I've, I, so I have a working knowledge of, of everything we're going to be talking about, but just for a lot of people who will not be, um, our process is different than other parties where yes. you, you, you teamed up with someone named Vermin Supreme, which is probably one of the top 10 names of all time. But you, <laughs> so it basically works where like v, potential VPs kind of nestle in with presidential candidates right. in the, and, but then it's kind of like an arranged marriage if everything doesn't go according to like the delegates. So how is it like, what about, Vermin stood out to you about teaming up with him, but then the the transition to Joe mm-hmm. being being your you know the one whose team you're on now. Well, and it's been a great transition. Just to kind of uh, uh, drill down a little bit more into how the process works. So most people, when the Republicans and Democrats pick their president after they pick the president, or, or sometimes just before they pick the president, right. um, they will announce their running mate. In fact, usually it's right before the actual formal nomination after the primaries right. have, have finished. Uh, the pre- their, their presidential nominee will pick who they want as their running mate. And then that gets kind of, you know, they get the rubber stamp at their at their convention. Yeah. Um, the way it works with the Libertarian Party, uh, we don't know who either of the candidates are until the actual convention. Yeah. Uh, and so when we met this time, it was online that we that we did the nominating part of our contest. Um on the 23rd, on the evening of the 23rd, the delegates chose Joe Jorgensen as mm-hmm. the presidential pick. And then the following, um, uh, actually early afternoon, it started in the morning, on the 24th, yeah. they, they decided who they wanted their VP pick to be. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they chose basically a fusion ticket that would unite all the various uh, factions and caucuses and so forth within the party into a ticket that really, I mean, on, in terms of our policies, yeah. we don't really have any disagreement on policy. So on the policy standpoint... Uh, you know, I remember after I got the nomination, I thought, well, I, I kind of broadly know Joe's ideas, right. um, you know, but I, I don't necessarily know every single you know subject. And so I, I went to her website and I'm looking at her issues page. I mean, this is a couple hours after I got picked and I looked <laughs> and I went, I like all this. Like right. this is what I would largely what I would write. Um, and so, you know, that's worked very well and we have very complimenting styles. So she's, you know, has more of a, for those who are looking for a return to normalcy and a return to decency in, in Washington and, and are looking for more of a kind of calming voice, uh, in this, uh, cacophony of, of, <laughs> of rage that's happening right now, which is a very large number of voters. Um, mm-hmm. Joe can speak to that for voters who 
are completely left behind by the system and are one or two steps away from wanting to burn everything down and you know want someone that speaks to their rage and their and their their hopelessness and their anxieties and their hopes and their dreams i'm able to to reach that audience uh with a more kind of edgy internet meme based viral video type of, of marketing campaign and so we're not leaving any chips on the table all different demographics age race income and everything else we're able to reach across the entire spectrum of the american body politic and uh, and it's a pretty incredible thing. Now you asked about Vermin Supreme. Uh, I love Vermin. Vermin's a, yeah. a, a fantastic guy. Um, he has a very interesting way of u- using satire to reach people who are so disgusted by this whole process <laughs> that they don't want to hear anything from any politician. If their first exposure to libertarianism is me showing up and going, "Hey, I'm Spike Cohen, and I'd like to talk to you about self ownership and how common sense libertarian solutions are going to get us <laughs> out of the problems that the Republicans and Democrats they've already shut me out because I sound like every other politician." Right. Even if I'm a little bit more edgy or whatever, they're already kind of uh, a little bit more skeptical of me at the very least. Yeah. Someone like Vermin or another satirist. This is why people, you know, when when people start talking politics, they'll uh, defer to Dave Chappelle or George Carlin or The Daily Show or um, uh, the guy's last name's Oliver. I think John Oliver or, you know, late night TV because – they need humor and entertainment because they're so disgusted by the whole thing and they think it's such a joke and they don't trust the people who are actually in positions of power and influence, including in major media. And right. so someone like Vermin can come in and, and entertain them, get their attention, lower their cognitive defense, get them where they actually are listening uh, to the fact that there is some kind of underlying message there. Right. They want to find out more and then they come into libertarianism. And he's brought a, a lot of people in doing that. We are very grateful for everything Vermin's done and we're grateful for him for helping us with our campaign moving forward. Joe and I recognize that the Republicans and Democrats have taken the level of discourse in this country and and taken that discourse and the way that they treat the American people to the level of a joke. And we want to change that. We want the to remove the bad centrally planned uh, policies of the Republicans and Democrats in their exclusive control of every lever of power in the federal government for over 160 years, which has turned this into the cynical joke that it is, and return it back, put the power back in the hands of the people so that we can live freer and happy and safer and healthier lives. That's amazing. Um, I guess that that it all that's what drew me. I guess I was reading the platform and I'm like, okay, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously the the logistics of it, like there's a big issue right now with with ballot access. I guess do you yes. know like the stats is I guess Joe would need fifteen percent of whatever poll to get onto a stage because you know we're watching we're gonna watch these two, uh, you know classical personalities go at each other yeah, um, yeah. with varying degrees of, of cognitive ability and you know then there's <laughs> Joe which which will be fluid from moment to moment yeah yeah right so like what what are you, what is the party up against in terms of the chances of getting someone like Joe on an actual debate stage so people know that you know it's not a sideshow or some like you know distraction off like in the corner like that there's a viable option there Right. So that's the biggest problem. We get Joe on the debate stage. And I personally personally believe at that point we are favored to win because what people see right now is they see Republicans and Democrats and and other. Right. Other kind of gets it's like other. And even if there's a mention of a third party candidate, it's always like, well, there's also this third party candidate. But look at Joe Biden's lead over Donald Trump or Donald Trump and Joe Biden are neck and neck in the battleground. Yeah. 
but then you know there's a you know there's you know 15 14% that wants other and, mm-hmm. it, but it's always done as this sort of aside i've noticed even in the colors of the polling they'll do you know blue for biden and red for trump and and an off white gray for other that you can barely see up against whatever <laughs> the you know the the background is um and the whole point of that is if we get her on the debate stage that whole illusion of only having two choices is over. They'll see three choices. And one of those choices between the other, you'll have two people who are, you know, barely able to form a coherent sentence between the two of them. And equally as important, they're knee deep in all of the blame for everything that's going on right now. Joe Biden, a career politician who is the architect of all the, all of the ills that we're facing right now, one of the main architects of it. And Donald Trump, a lifelong crony turned politician who, uh, you know, has benefited from using government to impose his will on others, taking property from people who didn't want to sell it to him, widows who didn't want to sell their land and mm-hmm. having it taken from them so they can build casinos and then leveraging the bankruptcy courts to uh, unload all of his debt on the poor saps who were, were, were naive enough to invest in his ideas. So, so they were, had to pay it all off and he got to go and, and and walk away with all the all of his money intact. Um, you know, these are two people that are synonymous with everything wrong with the system, the big government crony friendly system that the Republicans and Democrats have set up. And between them will be Joe Jorgensen, right. a brilliant entrepreneur, self-made entrepreneur, uh, a, a woman that's ready to lead from day one, a senior lecturer, someone that can break down complex ideas uh, in a way that are, relate to everyday Americans who can point by point, case by case, and example by example, break down in very clear terms how the Republicans and Democrats have created this problem and how common sense libertarian solutions are the way out of these problems. Uh, I think that that is a no-brainer. Yeah. That the people will realize not only is this not some, you know, uh, uh, abstract third choice that doesn't really matter and is a non-factor. She's the only viable option up there. And, of course, yeah. you put me between Mike Pence, uh, who's still <laughs> deciding, still trying to, to decide whether or not the government should be able to electrocute people for being gay. Uh, and then Kamala Harris, uh, more than likely Kamala Harris, uh, who's best known for illegally withholding exculpatory evidence uh, in a capital murder trial. She was ordered by a judge to release evidence that would exonerate a man who she knew was innocent that she was trying to have executed for murder and she still tried to withhold it. She still illegally tried to withhold it, which I would consider at least morally, if not legally, to be attempted murder. Yeah. If you're trying to have someone killed knowing they didn't do what would warrant that punishment. So I I look forward to a chance to ask her that. And and, And so, you know, if we get on that debate stage, I think it's all over. I think that we win this and, uh, and, and, and move forward in a major way for the party and the movement. Um, and so the question is, how do we do that? Well, the, the Commission on Presidential Debates, their requirement is that we get 15% or more in five uh, or more reputable polls. So these are like Gallup polls, Emerson, those types of things. Um, okay. And so the idea is that uh, and we're and Gary uh, Johnson and Bill Weld got 13 percent and 11 percent in two polls. Wow. So they were within, uh, you know, uh, spitting distance of being able to actually get on the debate stage. Now, what's happened since then? In those four years, Americans distrust government more than ever. In just this year, we saw both people on the right and the left engaging in some of the largest protests in our time on a variety of different subjects that were all examples of government imposing their will on people against against their will. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's massive distrust of government across the spectrum. We also have where uh, major media in that four years has lost that much more share of their market 
um, and and you know major media does everything they can to shut us out. Whereas with sh- social media, where we have a much larger, more and more prominent reach there, much more proportionate reach there, has mm-hmm. gone up that much more in in influence. I think all those things will combine for us to be able to get the fifteen percent or more in the polls. We have to do that by pretty much by the end of the summer. We okay. have to be getting fifteen percent or more of the polls. I'm confident we will be able to do that. And once we get Joe on that stage, it's over. Okay. Once Joe Jorgensen is on that stage, it is over. Now your other question was ballot access. That's a very difficult one. Right now, uh, in 2016, we got on all 50 state ballots. Uh, In this uh, cycle, so far we're on 34. We are confident we will get on all 50. Uh, But the problem is many of the states have very, very high uh, petitions. So we have to get, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of petitions signed to get on the ballot, which is difficult enough in normal conditions when we can go to state fairs and and you know uh, pride rallies and gun rights rallies and you know all, all you know go to all sorts of different large public events to get uh, petitions signed or knock door to door well that's all stuff we can't really do right now because of the lockdown and the, where it's either illegal to to you know, do it or people really just don't want to do it right now they don't want to answer their door to a stranger who wants them to hold a pen and sign something for you know like they don't they're trying to limit their interactions <laughs> with each other, uh, and so it makes it very difficult. And so we are suing in those states, uh, both the Libertarian Party and the state affiliates and our campaign are uh, participating in lawsuits in all those states uh, to get ballot access relief. We qualified in 2016. There's no reason to think we wouldn't qualify in 2020 in yeah. normal conditions, so let us on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, or remove those quali- those conditions in the first place so you know any legit party can get on the ballot. We are confident we will be able to do that. It does cost money. Oh, by the way, first plug yes. uh, for our campaign. Uh, Sunday was my 38th birthday. Nice. And I know what you're thinking. Spike, you look <laughs> all of 38. Well, thank you. But you're also probably thinking, how can I give you the best birthday gift possible? Because I already love you and I want you to have an amazing birthday week. Well, thank you so much. What you can do is go to 38forspike.com. I would love for you to make a $38 contribution to the Jorgensen Cohen campaign or whatever amount you want to give. You can give what I did. It doesn't have to yeah. be 38. That's just a nice number. I'll put it in the notes. Yeah. Yeah, 38forspike.com, and you can give, and we would greatly appreciate it. And it helps with things like trying to get ballot access, doing more uh, uh, viral marketing and, 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 and uh, public appearances and things like that, all the, all the campaign costs needed for us to be able to get that 15% so we can get Joe on that debate stage and win this whole thing. Yeah, and then one question I got, um, a few questions, the same question I got when I joined the, the Facebook group for the campaign was, mm-hmm. you know, if 2020, so I mean, I remember Gary Johnson saying in 2016, "Wouldn't a year like this be the good year to vote for a libertarian candidate based on mm-hmm. who's running?" 2020, it's almost like gone up tenfold. Wouldn't it be great to, you know, have someone alternative in the office? So the question I was getting from people was, um, "So what happens? Say she does win, mm-hmm. how do you then go into the middle of a House and a Senate?" Where it's all Republicans and Democrats, do you, do you pull them all together? Do you do you get ostracized by both of them? Like that was my situation when I was going up against a, a right in and a Republican and a Democrat. Like, what happens when you get there? Like, do you see you a path there, yeah. to to listening to you, or is it like you're going to be trumped times ten in terms of uh, he's he's an outsider or she's an outsider? Oh, they're going to do everything they can to attack us. But here's the thing: they set up the trap for themselves. Congress has so abdicated their responsibility over the past several decades by creating one alphabet soup agency after the next and granting them almost unlimited regulate regulatory authority, yeah. which basically took all of the power out of the hands of the legislature and put it all in the hands or all, most of it in the hands of the executive. So that now 
the legislature is basically just funding the thing. They're not really yeah. writing it. They're, they're writing fewer and fewer laws. And it's more and more just new regulations coming from the executive branch from those positions that they created and gave all that authority to. Now, the beauty of that <laughs> is Joe Jorgensen can go in and just start laying off a bunch of people and not replacing them and <laughs> undoing all of those regulations and undoing all of those executive orders. So, for example, ending the war on drugs, she just deschedules them and fires everyone in the DEA and does not rehire anyone. And now she'll ask them to remove those rules. But in the meantime, she has the authority to hire and fire as she sees fit, fit which was just uh, reaffirmed in a decision uh, just uh, what last week or the week before with the Consumer, uh, Consumer Financial Protection Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, where uh, where Donald Trump wanted to fire uh, the, the the person in charge of that, and Congress said, "Nope, the rule here says you can only fire under certain circumstances," and the Supreme Court said, "Nope, that's an executive branch uh, agency." Yeah, he can fire and fire as he sees fit. Doesn't have to replace her. Can do whatever he wants. Everyone in the executive branch serves at the pleasure and the discretion of the president. So, and all those regulations are done or undone at the pleasure. Of the executive, and so uh, there's just a lot of things that can be undone, uh, undoing the ATF and the IRS and the, the DEA, and uh, undoing the civil asset forfeiture program and the military-industrial complex. There's a lot of stuff that can be undone with the stroke of a pen, and uh, and the American people will see the immediate and profound benefits from us, you know, freeing them and taking these burdens off them and removing the barriers that are making it harder for them to thrive. And then once we've done that, yeah. and they're seeing how much better things are, then we go to Congress, and we use the bully pulpit that comes with in the White House. And Joe and I will be able to draw a very clear line in the sand. And on that one side of that line is Joe and I and however many uh, libertarians are, have also been elected to Congress at that point. Because uh, if we get, if we win, more than likely at least a few libertarians will also end up in Congress as well in that, in that next you – know, by, by next year – all of us that are working and, and whatever Republicans and Democrats join us to help mm -hmm. slowly remove the boot from the neck of the American people as they so that they can thrive better and live freer and happier lives. And on the other side of that line are those who are fighting to keep that boot on our necks and allow continued needless suffering for no other reason than to preserve their own power and wealth and influence and that of their favorite crony billionaires. I think we win that argument. Yeah, I, I I can totally see this happening. I mean, I, the big lie I feel like with with politics and law in general is it's not what you can do; it's what you can undo. Because I have like candidates like when they run for office, like the first thing I'm going to do is like I'm going to about like rescind these five laws that were horrible right. decisions, or just peel all that back. All right, we're going to get back to Spike Cohen in just a minute. Uh, this is where I tell you how you could support my podcast uh, by going to patreon.com slash funny Evan. Uh, that is a website, as you may know. It's uh, how creators like me can be supported by people like you uh, with a monthly lovely donation. Um, for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can help Socially Awkward expand, um, get on more guests, upgrade its equipment, and all the nine yards. Um, there are reward tiers. There is Socially Awkward uh, paraphernalia. There's uh, an Awkward with Army certificate. There are uh, socially awkward t-shirts uh, I can send your way there are consultations available with me as well as even title sponsorships so definitely check that out that's just one way to help the podcast um, I already gained I think a patron or two from doing uh, this interview with Spike which has been amazing um, but enough about that let's get back to Spike this is Spike Cohen perhaps the next vice president of the United States 
Um, mm. Cool. So I do. I'll ask you then a couple of like issue based questions. Possibly this is from my family. Uh, let's see. My sister. I love that. I love that we're doing this thing. It's yeah. like, I just became your Facebook friend. You're asking me questions yeah. from your family. I want to just give you I, questions I like, from my I like family. I mean, some of them are from the campaign group, but I mean, my, my I'll, and I'll even give you, my dad is a never Trump Republican. You're okay. going to have something from my sister who, who is a liberal. And then you're gonna have something from my my eccentric aunt who is uh she she voted for Trump and you know that gives her something for my dad to yell at her about every time. So oh, this is my favorite sitcom now. Yeah. Socially awkward with Evan. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is what it is. So so well, my my sister actually had really thoughtful questions and there's okay. a couple. So um, she said, well, she wanted to talk about. Like the obviously we're all about free market, believing in like a free market system with healthcare. Yep. Now, is there a way to have that free market system with healthcare, but still retain some of the assistance like that maybe people have with Medicare, Medicaid in California, there's Medi-Cal. Can you create a system that has a hybrid of that where sure the company should compete and we're about to get prices disclosed with health insurance, but can you, can, can a, you know, a libertarian initiated system contain still some assistance for people that are struggling? Well, first of all, our priority is not kicking people off of Medicare. Our priority is reducing the cost of healthcare, including for Medicare, so it can yeah. remain affordable and so that Americans can have better choices. Um, so, you know, even though in a libertopian society where, where you know, libertarians have control of every lever of power, right. we would have true free market healthcare across the board. And, you know, there would be voluntary, uh, you know, mutual aid co-ops set up for, for you know, people to be able to get healthcare who, who can't afford it. Working within the confines of what we have right now, our plan is to use free market economics to re greatly reduce the cost, which also reduces the cost of Medicare and Medicaid mm -hmm. and allows for greater access there. So we know, based on the studies that have been done, that something like 75% of the cost of healthcare is comes from nothing other than the cost of compliance with Medicare red tape, Medicaid red tape, and uh, insurance health insurance mandate red tape. Right. Federal and state regulatory and mandate and tax burdens that drive up the cost for no good reason. It does not protect the public. It does not help with health. It does nothing other than drive up the cronies, the, the multi-billionaires who benefit as a result of that. That's it. Squat on patent protections from the government and be able to jack up the prices of drugs that have been around for, in some cases, over 100 years or, or close to a hundred years and, and epinephrine have gone up the roof all of these things uh, and then another uh certificate of need laws where if you want to if someone wants to build a new hospital or add a wing to a existing hospital or build a new medical center or create a new imaging center with an mri or a ct scan any of the things that are needed for healthcare, they have to beg and scrape the municipality or county that they're building it in and actually get petitions signed. We're talking about ballot access petitions. Right. In order to be able to actually provide more health care, you have to get petitions signed and beg and scrape the municipalities in a process that sometimes takes years to get approval before they can build that. And these municipalities and counties do not want to do it. It is a federally imposed uh, law that they have to do this. And that does nothing but drive 
up costs by reducing artificially reducing the supply and, and, and putting a bottleneck on new hospitals and new wings and new uh, you know medical centers and the things that we would need. Because if you can increase the supply, mm-hmm. that helps keep a price equilibrium. And then that's before we get into the fact that it's illegal for doctors to give health care for free. Did you know that? No. It is illegal. If you take Medicare and Medicaid, which you sort of have to, if you're if you're a doctor, you at this point you have to accept Medicare and Medicaid, you aren't allowed to give health care to anyone for free. <laughs> or even a reduced cost. So when we say without government, who would give us affordable health care? The answer often is our doctors would and government wouldn't stop them. But so the actions that uh, Jorgensen administration would take would greatly reduce the cost of health care. And this does many things. It allows Americans to be able to afford their health care without having to get assistance in the first place. If your health care costs have gone down 80, 90 percent, it's now something you can feasibly afford. Most Americans will be able to feasibly afford it. And for those who can't afford it, either because they're very elderly or because they're still, you know, they're in a situation financially where they can't do so and have Medicare and Medicaid or whatever state programs there are, the cost of running those programs goes great, greatly down because they're paying those costs as well. And so those programs will be more sufficient and less bloated and more able to uh, continue going. Um, so that is, in, at least in the short term, that is the plan. It reduces the cost of health care for everyone because our yeah. system has a major, major problem. But the idea uh, that many have that we should replace that with full government control of health care when it is government themselves that created this problem in the first place of redu- reduction in access and, uh, and, and cost overruns and patent protections and all of that stuff. The idea that the same foxes that keep letting more foxes in the hen house uh, would be able to protect us if they just had full control of the hen house, uh, I say that that's a self-defeating argument and that we move towards reducing people's costs in a way that will make it affordable for the vast majority of Americans and make the social safety net medical programs for those who can't afford it affordable so that we can continue that. Right. I just know that in California, like they put back in, you have to have health care or else it's a tax penalty. The same thing that happened when, when Trump started that he took away, California put it back in. Okay. Good to know on that. I want to get then, here's another one. My sister asked, um, well, she talked about the issue of, I have a, uh, this is like a two-part. Like, there's obviously victimless crimes is a big thing. We don't want to penalize people from victimless crimes. Um, and obviously that comes a lot with, with ending the war on drugs, um, obviously legalizing, you know, cannabis, I guess technically any, any substance where it's like you are in charge of your own body. You're in charge of your own body. Can you, can you still argue for that? But I feel like, I don't know, just as, you know, as someone with a kid or like that goes to school, can you still also create like a program or a message of like drug education for people at the same time? Like, you know, don't, you know, just because this stuff is all legal, like people that are like, you know, eight to like, 18 years old should not be thinking that it's totally fine to go, you know, smoke or take whatever. Absolutely. The the whole point of, of ending the war on drugs isn't saying, yay, everyone should do drugs now. Listen, right. I'm a 14 year uh, recovered addict. I, I, I certainly am not proposing people do drugs. (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, that I'm going to control you and tell you, you can't, especially if you're a consenting adult. But what I'm saying is what the war on drugs has done has not reduced drug use. In fact, there's some studies that say that it's actually increased drug use and made addiction worse. But at the very least, it has not reduced drug use. We saw the same thing with alcohol prohibition. What did alcohol prohibition do? Mm -hmm. Maybe alcohol just snuck around and got it. Yeah. 
you had to sneak around and get it. So what did it do? It made it more expensive because now you couldn't just go to a store to get it. You had to pay more to get it. Uh, people who were addicts were less likely to get help because they didn't want to get in trouble for doing something illegal. Um, a black market was created, which made the products less safe and also put it in the hands of criminals who don't care what the law is and gave criminals something to make more money off of. That's when all the gangland warfare started and, you know, the, the Valentine's Day massacre and all this stuff that's happened and the murder rate going through the roof because the criminal gangs that at that point had relied mostly on stuff like, you know, being hired to be hitmen and stuff. They didn't really have a great source of income. Then they were given alcohol and they suddenly were some of the richest people in the country they <laughs> controlled entire al capone controlled the city of chicago and it was on the strength of making something illegal and creating a black market right and that's what we have now we have criminal cartels that are some of the wealthiest people on earth so wealthy that they actually have you know people that they bribed off in control of levers of power in government so yeah. it's completely backfired there uh, addiction rates continue to skyrocket because the people that have those addiction problems are so stigmatized and so scared of getting in trouble for it they don't get help for it uh, it has driven up the cost of the of those drugs which makes them more profitable which makes more people want to provide them mm -hmm. uh, and it hasn't helped with addiction if instead we focused on educating people as to why these drugs are bad, right? Uh, and meanwhile, I, I'm not even sure I'd classify marijuana in with that because I, I put it in the same. I mean, honestly, alcohol is more dangerous than marijuana. Um, right. In fact, actually, markedly so. Um, but the, the the point of all that is, people should be free to put what they want in their bodies. We know it's a bad idea to eat, uh, you know, a, a thousand grams of sugar every day. You'll die very quickly. But it's not illegal because people should be free to put what they want in their bodies. If you tried to restrict or create a black market or make make sugary products illegal, we'd have the exact – we'd have a war on sugar and we'd have kings <laughs> you know, fighting to give us sugar. It would be the exact same thing. If you make it illegal, you just give criminal gangs and cartels something to make money off of. And so you take it out of the hands of the cartels. It, it reduces the amount of you know violence in in especially in, in 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 more impoverished and urban communities. It takes the violence out of that. It uh, it also uh, reduces the distrust between the police and the public because if you're just enjoying a little something, you're smoking a joint or whatever, and you see a cop right now, unless you're in a city where it's you know in a in, a, in an area where it's completely legal, right. all of a sudden you're freaking out. Or if you just you know smoke some weed and you see a cop. And you're, oh, I gotta maintain it. I don't want them to know I'm high. Right. And and it, it creates distrust between you and and between you and 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 the police that are sworn to protect you. Uh, and and it, and it creates a greater rift between the police and the public for no good reason. It's not helping anyone. So that's what ending the war on drugs is about. It is not about saying, oh, we should all do drugs or right. it's fine to you know everyone should mainline heroin every day. It's saying that trying to criminalize it has only harmed people. It has not helped people. Right. So if I'm like pulling up to somebody like I this happens in L.A. I mean, there's like dispensaries at like more than Starbucks. Um, I'm pulling up to someone at a traffic light and, you know, they're 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 token up right before the light turns green. Does that still technically fall under like a victimless crime or is it does it have to like hit somebody? Like I'm kind of uncertain, like what's a victimless crime? And then is so, it like pre-crime minority report we're talking about here or is it? Yeah. 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 Uh, 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 Driving while intoxicated is not pre-crime. You are engaging <laughs> okay. in something that – and there's some disagreement here with some libertarians. I fall on the side of saying that if you are engaging in something uh, – and, and, and I will go back to pot. But for example, if you're drinking alcohol and you're too drunk to drive, you are now engaging in something that greatly exponentially 
uh, by several orders of magnitude increases the risk of someone being harmed. And I, I would say, including yourself, yeah. but more importantly, someone else, because you can do whatever you want with yourself. And I would say in that case, you're now engaging in something that at the very least you need to be taken off the road. Yeah. We can get into an argument of what the punishment should be, but at the very least you shouldn't be driving. You should be taken off the road. Okay. Uh, there's some disagreement as to whether uh, driving while while being on mar- while being under the influence of marijuana, how much of an effect that has on driving response times. I know there have been some who've said that it's not nearly as, as big of a deal. Right. It's certainly not as big of a deal as alcohol. I would leave it to experts to say whether or not you know, there's a certain, you know, what that level of intoxication on, on marijuana would be before you could call that, um, you know, truly uh, yeah. impaired driving, but like heroin or, you know, you're on a bunch of cocaine or you're, you know, you're on meth or something. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be driving on meth. You right. shouldn't be driving <laughs> on heroin. And, and whether it were a publicly, if it were a privately owned road and I own the road, I'd be like, no meth smoking while you're on the road. Like, you know, no, you can't be drunk on the road. And it's the same thing with a public road that, you know, you can't be out, uh, uh, potentially greatly reduce, greatly increasing the potential, uh, for you to harm someone else. Uh, that's not pre-crime. You are, you are priming the pump uh, <laughs> yeah. for an imposition on someone else. And I, I think that that should be dealt with that way. Awesome. Uh, let's just get one of my aunt's questions in here. She wants sure. to like you to take apart the whole, um, the defunding police versus law and order, like what is an ideal scene for, for libertarians? Like, do you look at something like Chaz, like, oh, that looks kind of pleasant and they give you Ben and Jerry's or was it unfortunate, uh, just a lot of just chaos? Like where were you, where do you fall in like defunding, reforming, disbanding law and order, but are we good people to desert, you know, like how do we unpack that? Sure. So there's obviously a lot there. Right. Um, as it comes, what libertarians want is a safer country. We want a safe. We want safer streets, and we've seen the chaos that has unfolded in the streets as a result of government policies that have created a massive rift between the police and the public. And if you look at the baseline of what has caused that, it has been an increasingly militarized police state, both in their actual equipment, but more importantly in their training and the way that they're taught about how to interact with the public mm-hmm. and the fact that with qualified immunity, they're not held accountable if they hurt people. Derek Chauvin, before he killed George Floyd, had 17 other complaints against him, including complaints that were filed by his fellow officers, including wrongful death. Mm-hmm. He potentially murdered other people. Right. But because of qualified immunity, each of those times, it was ruled that he couldn't be held accountable because under qualified immunity, a, uh, a police officer or a politician or any other government official can't be held liable if they determine personally that what they did was reasonable under the scope of their carrying out their duties. Imagine if you could go to court and say, Your Honor, I know I've been charged with murder, but I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And the judge goes, oh, OK, well, if you think it's reasonable, then I'm going to drop the charges. That's qualified immunity. And so in the case of Jarek Chauvin, the Minneapolis Police Department looks at a cop like Jarek Chauvin. And, you know, we're told there are, there are only a few bad apples in the bunch. That's yeah. correct. Let's remove them because when only bad apples left in a bunch make the other apples bad slowly over time. Right. right? That spoilage continues to happen. So right. you remove the bad apples. That's not happening. Bad right. policing is being incentivized and good policing is being punished. And here's why. The Minneapolis Police Department is looking at Jarek Chauvin and going, Wow, this guy's terrible. Look at all the stuff he's doing. He is really abusing people. We should probably get rid of him. <sighs> but if we do that, we have to go after the police union. We're going to have to fight the police unions. It's right. going to cost us a fortune. 
But if we keep him on with qualified immunity, right. it's not costing us anything because neither he nor nor we are being held liable for that. So I guess we'll just have to wait till he actually does something that gets him arrested, yeah. you know, for committing a crime, probably murder, and then we can get rid of him. We are incentivizing bad policing. We are punishing good policing because yeah. when those cops try to hold someone like a Derek Chauvin accountable, nothing happens. Except yeah. now, the other police, who any other police that are bad, know they can't trust them because they'll rat them out. Yeah. If instead you remove qualified immunity, which is what uh, uh, Libertarian Congressman Justin Amash is trying to do in Congress right. with tripartisan legislation, the very first time we can say tripartisan, a wow. tripartisan bill that he's trying to pass to end qualified immunity. Once we end qualified immunity, once Joe Jorgensen is in office and qualified immunity is over, now the police department looks at a Derek Chauvin the first first time he does anything and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This guy's going to cost us a fortune in lawsuits. We got to get rid of him. And the police union, who also could be held liable, goes, wait a second, we got to get rid of this guy. So now the people who are controlling the levers of power now have a vested interest not in keeping him, but in removing the bad cops. The bad apples, the very second there's even a hint of brown on them, a hint of, of spoilage on them, are being removed from the bunch. So now good policing is being incentivized, if for no other reason than to make sure that they don't get sued. <laughs> so good policing over bad policing, that helps heal the rift between the police and the public. We end the civil asset forfeiture, which is the program whereby government, and this is led from the federal government, trickles down to the states. Mm-hmm. The government can take uh, and, and takes very often to the tune of tens of millions, tens of billions, actually billions of dollars a year mm-hmm. from people without trying them uh, before trial. And if they're found not guilty or the charges are dropped, they then have to sue the government for their own stuff back, even though it was just determined <laughs> that it should have never been taken from them in the first place. Yeah. This is armed robbery. And many of those people, because they have nothing, can't afford to sue, and they they end up giving up all their stuff. That is theft straight up. There is, no, is armed robbery for no good reason, and it is disproportionately used in the most marginalized communities among the poor and people of color and gender and sexual minorities and so forth. And so, But it's being used on everyone, really. But so that ends. The war on drugs ends for all the reasons we talked about there. All of these things contribute. We end no-knock raids. The, 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 the Constitution, the Bill of Rights is very clear mm-hmm. that you are to be secure in your home and in, your, and in your, your possessions. And the idea that the police can just break down your door without knocking because they think you might have drugs, that's absurd. Even if, even if we end the war on drugs, we should still end no-knock raids. If they suspect something, they need to get a warrant just like the Constitution intended, just mm-hmm. like the founders intended. So mm-hmm. we end that. So the defunding of the police would largely happen at the federal level because the federal government, as written in the Constitution, was never supposed to be involved with domestic policing. That is a local issue. Mm-hmm. And by taking the federal government out of it and putting policing back in the communities where it belongs, they can decide what their policing looks like. Right. And I guarantee you it's going to look a lot different than it looks like now. And that is how you have order. Order order doesn't come from an iron fist standing over everyone. Order comes from people having trust in the people that are protecting them, having a relationship with the people protecting them, not fearing or being resentful of the people who have power, and not being provoked into a violent response because they finally can't take it anymore after they've been criminalized their entire life. That's where law and order comes from. Yeah. Law and order – does not come from the end of a barrel of a gun. Law and order, the, the, the order and the peace that we want, the safety that we want, comes from people being secure in their communities and feeling as though the people that are in control, that are in power, 
aren't trying to impose themselves on them. This the revolution that created the United States of America Mm -hmm. happened because of a of a of a of a of a foreign power who was trying to impose law and order on everyone uh, under their boot. And mm-hmm. it doesn't work. It leads to revolutions. And if we don't want a revolution, then we need to solve the problem. And that's what Joe Jorgensen will do. Yeah. And that kind of bridges over because this was one issue in California, especially where it's like, how do I toe the line? Uh, immigration versus illegal immigration. Like, do we leave people alone that are in the country illegally? Do mm-hmm. we like what? Where do we obviously everyone has a right to live wherever they want but what what perspective do you take when it talks about all giving we have a lot of illegal aliens they're getting like they're getting aid from the government or they're getting i don't i don't know what their total responsibilities are but but where do you fall in like immigration versus illegal immigration in okay. a free society yeah so the founders intended uh, when it came to immigration the reason that there's no mention of immigration control uh, in the constitution uh, and in fact, in Article One, Section Nine, it talks about uh, not prohibiting uh, or controlling immigration uh, or, or migration, uh, and and the fact that the uh, one of the stated reasons in the Declaration of Independence that the founders gave for declaring independence from the crown was that the uh, King George was actually trying to control immigration and trade. It's yeah. very clear what the founders intended that we be allowed to trade with and associate with and travel to and from wherever we wish and associate with and host and hire and house whomever we wish. They intended what we had for the first 100 years that the U.S. existed, completely unregulated and unlimited migration. And it did not lead to any of the things that people warn about that, oh, if you allow migrants in, we're going to have, you know, increasing crime and we're going to have, you know, uh, 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 the economy is going to fall apart. None of that happened. It was just the opposite. We actually became safer uh, and we also became much more prosperous. It is what part of what led to the United States becoming the greatest, uh, uh, you know, economy on earth. And in fact, that's why almost all of us are the descendants of people who came here. Because I got news for you, Evan. If the restrictions that are in place now had been in place back then, almost none of our ancestors would have qualified to come here. Not even close. Okay, so we are the descendant of people who would not have qualified Mm -hmm. coming here. Like almost like maybe one or two percent of the people coming here would have qualified if those same qualifications were in place. So this would be a much smaller and less prosperous and less diverse country as a result of that. So the question of you know uh, uh, immigrants or illegal immigrants or whatever else uh, using welfare. We know from multiple studies that immigrants, both legal and illegal, are con- considerably less likely to use welfare and social safety nets than native-born Americans. Uh, but the bottom line is, if that's a problem, then we just say that they can't get welfare. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> uh, the, the question about where a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, they're coming here and they're committing violent crimes. The, the statistics show that both legal and illegal immigrants are markedly less likely to engage in crimes of violence and theft uh, than native-born Americans. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. And the statistics that pro-border control people will use, similar to pro-gun control people, uh, the, the, uh, the, the pro-border control people, they'll say, well, uh, they commit much more crimes. They're, they're much more likely to be in federal prison. Yeah, for immigration. That's yeah. it. That's it. That's, they're, not in, they're not in jail for actually doing anything wrong. They're in jail for coming here without their government papers. Yeah. That, that's why they're in jail. Yeah. So the answer there is, and I, and I tell people, I go, I want to end the scourge of illegal immigration by legalizing it. Right. Now we won't have any more illegal aliens. We'll get rid of all of them at once. Uh, they'll all be legal because there was, again, returning to the founder's intent, 
we immigration controls are a violation of your right as an American, your right to host and hire and house whomever you wish on your property mm-hmm. and to travel wherever uh, to properties wherever you are welcome. Mm-hmm. And the massive police state that has had to be created both on the border and the massive surveillance state that has had to be created within the rest of this country, mm-hmm. where if you want to get a job or you want to sign a lease in many states or you want to get your you know utilities put in your names in many states, you have to go through the federal E-Verify program and you have to get a, a real ID with your, with your biometrics on it. All of this stuff is created to control the flow of people where they wish to go. Yeah. And even still, millions of people are able to come here illegally, which means that the kind of police state that would have to be created to effectively keep them out, they'll always come in in a trickle because because uh, uh, human smuggling cartels will always find corrupt Border Patrol agents to let people in. Yeah. So you're never going to stop it completely. But th- what it would take to slow it down to a trickle, Mm-hmm. And by the way, that trickle would be the most, the worst people, because those would be the people who can't get in because, you know, they're violent criminals and everything else. So right. you'd have a slow trickle of the absolute worst people, the ones that we absolutely would not, people that are, you know, fleeing pedophilia charges in their, in their, you know, in their, in their countries back home and so forth. That would be what would be coming in in this case. Yeah. And what it would take, the police state that it would take to impose itself on you as an American every yeah. single day, stopping you for your papers uh, anytime you're within a, a few hundred miles of the border and so forth, you would not want to live in that world, I assure you. So yeah. we need to return to what the founders intended when it comes to trade and immigration. Yeah. We'll, let's wind down a little bit because um, I know you got uh, many, many different things ahead. But um, oh, yeah. speaking of the uh, pedophilia, were you getting in touch with um, a lot of the the controversial videos that have been coming out over the last few months where you want to like check out something like Out of Shadows or or watch a pandemic? uh on youtube like would do you kind of stay clear of those kinds of things when you try to uncover like things that are really going on or oh i'm not familiar with that okay that's fine you're better for it then okay (laughs) never mind so uh i know i know pandemic but i don't know out of shadows it sounds like i I dodged a bullet no it was like pizzagate and all that stuff we'll we'll leave it yeah 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 yeah, we'll leave it alone Okay. So here, here is yes. uh, broadly speaking on on things like that. I think it is important to allow all different types of opinion, uh, if at all possible. And obviously, YouTube and Facebook and whatever can decide what they want to platform or deplatform because they right. own the platform. But in general, I think it's good for people to be able to say whatever they want to say if they're welcome to say it. You know, by the where whatever venue they're using. Um, but in general, when it comes to what I believe or don't believe, I tend to look for as much sourcing as possible. Okay. Um, I tend to be very evidence based because just the fact that someone is saying it yeah. uh, from an official you know, position doesn't mean that it's true. In fact, it often means it isn't true. In the same token, just because someone is saying this is what they don't want you to know, man, doesn't mean that's true. And in fact, yeah. often the person saying it also <laughs> equally cannot be trusted. So I find it's important uh, to source things as much as possible and yeah. to get as much many different sources of information because it's hard to get truly unbiased information. So it's better just to get as much information as possible. And then, you know, I, unfortunately, in some cases, you have to apply your gut instinct on, yeah. on you know, what what looks like the most likely outcome. Um, so that that's my my way of approaching it. Cool. So uh, a couple a couple little things before we go. Um, obviously, you mentioned how like people go to comedians for for truth, whether it was Carlin or Dave Chappelle or or you know John Stewart, Trevor Noah. Do, do you have favorite comedians over the years? I'm actually a comedian as well, so I'm just kind of curious uh, where where your your humor would would go to. Or oh man, so Dave Chappelle, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, 
I consider Vermin Supreme a, a comedian and a satirist, so I would probably put him in there as well. Robin Williams. Um, I like John Stewart as a stand-up comedian, and he hasn't done that as much in a long time. But I liked him even before The Daily Show when he was a stand-up comedian. Uh, Bob Saget. Yeah. Oh man, I could do this all day long. I, <laughs> I, 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 so I actually grew up watching stand-up comedy. My, my, my dad and I yeah. used to watch Comedy Central when it first came out. Yeah. And I would watch all the stand-up comedians, and yeah. I, yeah, um, no, I, I, Richard Stewart. Oh, there's so many. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very big on. Uh, I, I love, uh, uh, I love the, yeah. I love comedians. But yeah, I, 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 if I had to pick three, it would be. Oh man, if I had to pick four, it would be Lenny Bruce. Oh man, I have to. I keep adding. <laughs> Len, I'll have to. Your Lenny Mount Bruce, Rushmore, Richard Carlin, um, Richard, Richard or George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Uh, Dave Chappelle, and then I have to add, um, uh, I have to add Robin Williams as a fifth. Okay, excellent. And um, yeah. as we get to, so the events ahead are in Orlando. What it, what is happening? I guess is the party congregating in Orlando in the near future. You know, yeah, it, it, we're, we're we're deciding whether we're doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If it happens, yes. what we are doing is getting together, doing kind of a unity pep rally for the ticket because we already right. chose Joe and I as the as the president and vice president. Right. And uh, and then we'll I'm going to be hosting a panel on uh, uh, gun rights hosted by the uh, hosted and sponsored by the Gun Owners of America. It's going to feature uh, many people of different varying races and sexual identities and everything else to kind of talk about the fact that dispel the rumor that. Second, gun rights are just a, a white guy thing, a suburban white guy thing, and show gun rights are about our self protection. So if it, I'm really hoping it happens for no other reason, yeah. then I'll be able to do that. But yeah. um, I'm kind of tipping my hand there because I've tried to stay neutral on whether I think the in person should happen or not. But yeah, yeah. stay neutral. I really, really want to. Do that. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, and and they'll also be doing uh, you know ch- picking the new chair and vice chair and secretary right. and all that, and uh, and also just uh, adding to the platform you know, bylaws, hopefully getting a judiciary committee. We haven't had that in two years. Um, but it's looking like it might get canceled. So okay. we don't know. Okay. <laughs> we, okay. we don't know what's going to happen. It, when the, when there is a rally, do, do you, or do, does Joe have a, have a theme song they'd like to come out to? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I, I have some suggestions uh, for Joe, but I don't know if you have any that you'd, I, I can't even think this, this is the gotcha question. I yeah. don't, I, I've not even thought about <laughs> this. If you have any suggestions, I'd well, love to hear them. I, you or Joe, I feel like, Here's a, these are a few. Well, obviously, literally, I could do. We could do "Hey Joe" by Jimmy Bruce, Jimi Hendrix. Or where, we, where are you going with that gun in your hand? I'm going to disband the ATF. Yeah, Cotton Eye Joe. Okay, but probably more realistically, I think she could come to something like like "Fight Song" by Rachel Platten. No. Okay, what about Beastie Boys' "Sabotage"? Yes, that's okay. mine. <laughs> that would be okay. That'll be mine. I could see her coming out to maybe hit me with your best shot by Pat Benatar. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. I mean, I have to defer to Joe. Okay. I, I think I, I think uh, Joe. Okay. I, I would defer to Joe. Uh, by the way, she let me know something that you may not know. Okay. I always you probably already know this that Van Halen uh, when they did their um uh when they would do their uh concerts in the contract it always said they had to have uh, uh M and M's and all the right. brown ones had to be removed. Right. And everyone thought it was because they're so difficult. No. What she what she found out, so I think it was in a documentary she watched or something. Uh, what she said is that the reason they did that was it was all the way at the end of the contract, and so they knew that if someone had done that, that they had read the whole contract. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad it wasn't that, like a racial that, thing. 
No, it's not a racial <laughs> oh, thing. Oh, good. I, when she said there was a reason, I'm like, maybe the dye was, you know, right, like that, whatever right. the dye was for brown was good, unhealthy. Or, nope. It was to make sure that they actually, they didn't care about brown M&Ms. Cool. They didn't even want M&Ms. They just wanted to make sure that they had actually read the entire contract. So, cool. So I'll, I'll let you get on to your, your next thing. Um, and yeah, absolutely. What, let, your, let your plugs, leave me, give the campaign plugs one more time and your birthday. Sure. So our website is uh, joj2020.com. That's joj2020.com. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you want to join the team, uh, there's a volunteer form. We'd love for you to sign it, uh, to fill it out and, uh, and join our team. And there's also, a, you know, if you want to contribute, again, 38forspike.com. Give for my birthday. Happy birthday, me. Yeah. Uh, $38. You can give $3.80. You can give $380. Really, you can give any denomination of money up to $2,800, which is the federal max. And I mean, sir, if you want to do that, I will absolutely not stop you. That would be a great birthday gift. Until you open uh, a a, uh, a Clinton Foundation in your own name, then the I think that'd be a Cohen Birthday Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so yeah, J- JoeJ2020.com, and and we 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 uh, we hope to have y'all uh, supporting us in uh, in November, and we appreciate your your time, and thank you, Evan, for yeah, your time. Yeah, thanks for the time. Thanks and thank for your the- family. Thank your family for their great questions. Yes, too. and I will thank you for the confirm so that this is a valid socially awkward interview. Because you're sticking with the pattern of, yeah. of your Facebook. Yeah, I'm, probably, I'm, like I'm interviewing someone who's trying to be governor of California in a couple of years. I'm like, you got to confirm my ad request first. got to be I my Facebook the, friend I first. Get you on the, I to, yeah. Can't okay. have you on until you're my Facebook friend. But thank you, man. I appreciate All it. All right. You have a good day and uh, best too. wishes and take it to him. Sabotage. Absolutely. I guess. Everyone stay socially awkward. Yes. Okay. want to thank Spike Cohen for coming on my podcast and being my newest Facebook friend. Uh, interesting times in 2020 where your podcast involves, uh, you put in a media request to interview these people and they say yes. So, so I took it and it's, it, it was fabulous. Uh, I'm still waiting to interview Joe Jorgensen. It may not happen. She gets very busy as you could imagine uh, being a candidate for president. But uh, Spike was great. And uh, you know, with a podcast like this, you interview a vice presidential candidate one episode I might even be interviewing like someone running for governor of California the next episode. So things are definitely interesting on socially awkward uh, as I as my Facebook friends evolve and as I continue to to interview them one by one. Um, definitely go to Awkward with Evan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and go to awkwardwithevan.com. And if you can support Patreon.com/slash Funny Evan. Um, but this is what I do, and uh, thank you guys for listening through it. And uh, we'll maybe get some video up of this episode and uh, stay awkward. Because as you know, I will. Thanks for listening. Go to awkwardwithevan.com to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Now for Evan's mom to pick out his clothes for tomorrow. See you next time on Socially Awkward with Evan Wexel. 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 Wexel.